Joel, you want to know something? What? Every now and then, say what the f What the f gives you freedom? Freedom brings opportunity. Opportunity makes your future. If you can't say it, you can't do it. Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Well, welcome back to the Sailing in the Mediterranean podcast. I'm Franz. Hey, so I've been elk hunting the last couple of weeks, and this year I was skunked. We saw quite a few cows, but they were all out of range, and I had a cow permit. I had a friend that was hunting with me. He had a bull permit, and one big bull popped out, but it was at about 425 yards away from us. He got it in his scope, and he decided it wasn't it wasn't a shot that was worth taking. So no new elk this year. Did wander around. We got some grouse, some duffy grouse, and that's about it. The grouse season goes on until December, so I still have an opportunity to go up and hunt some grouse up on the property. Hey, I got my footings and foundations poured, and that's all I'm going to be able to do this year on the summer home edition. So that's about it with my life. Not much else new. I got a few emails. Thought I'd share them with you. This one's actually quite old, and I don't think I ever read it on, on the air. But it goes like this. I just listened to your interview on the Sailing Podcast. I had no idea that when I listened to a podcast about sailing in the Med, I'd be listening to someone from Utah. Sailing is something that have always intrigued me, but being from Utah, I don't know any sailors. I love the ocean. I have to be in it if I'm near it. I'm scuba certified and dive whenever I get near the ocean. I've said for many years, the only thing Utah is missing is an ocean. Yeah, I've thought that too. But then if Utah had the ocean, then it'd look like California with all the people that California has. And then he goes on to say, I'm 40 and I don't want life to slip by, so I want to learn to sail and someday own a boat. I read Sailing for Dummies, listen to podcasts, watch YouTube videos. There are a lot of good resources out there. I see you have courses as well. Being from Utah, what's the best way to get experience? I see the Bonneville School of Sailing on Utah Lake is taking lessons the best way. Are there boats that would show me the ropes for an extra crew hand for the day? It's easy when you know someone, but I know no one. I'm motivated. Any advice would be helpful. I'll say this again, and I've repeated it over and over and over again. Just walk down to a yacht club when they're having a race and hold up your hand and say, I want to learn to sail. I want to be on a crew. Anybody looking for a spare crew member? That's all it takes. That's really all it takes. I've been to a lot of uh, pre-race meetings, and if anybody's ever shown up looking for a ride or looking to be an extra crew member, they're always snapped up. It's not that hard. It really is not that hard. Of course, it always helps to learn the terminology ahead of time so you don't feel like you're in a foreign country when you get on a boat. But you can do that by either purchasing my ASA 101 series or reading some books. So there's ways to go about learning the terminology. You can't learn to sail by reading a book. <laughs> you might have an idea of what the maneuvers are, but you really won't understand it till you're out there on a boat and actually sailing. All right, then I got another email from Deke. Deke is the guy that sent me the earthnullschool.net website. He came back with another email. He said, hi, Franz. I'm the guy who sent you the, the link to the earth.nullschool.net. But now I'd like you to check this new weather visualization site out. It's www.windyty.com, which I'm going to check out, and I haven't yet which I'm sure you and your followers will find more feature-rich and useful than Null School. You can even embed windyty.com right into your MedSailor site, so it will draw more traffic to your site. I'll check that out, and if I can, I will. I also really enjoyed the nuts and bolts DIY rigging conversation between you and Brian Toss. I wonder if you would try to get more boat maintenance repair experts on your show to perhaps share tricks and tips on fiberglassing or epoxying and bottom jobs or perhaps to get someone who is 
published a galley cookbook, perhaps a woman who can make our mouths water by describing how to cook freshly caught tuna, lionfish, or self-harvested lobster from under the boat. Perhaps she could advise on how to properly equip and stock a ship's galley, given that many do not have adequate refrigeration. That'd be a good podcast. I'll try to find somebody that could talk about the galley. Also, regarding your question on getting somebody with experience on repairs, a book I bought when I started building my boat a long time ago was by a book, Frederick Mate, and he wrote From a Bear Hull. And after I read your email, I looked him up, and he has a website. And even though I couldn't email him directly, I was able to email his publisher asking him if he'd be interested in coming on and talking to us about his book from a bear hall. I used that book a lot when I built my boat. It's an old book. I, you know, I, This goes back to the late 80s, 90s, but it was a good book at the time. Now, regarding epoxy and fiberglassing, man, that's something you can't really teach in a podcast or even really with books. It's something that requires some hands-on experience and some experimentation. The problem with fiberglassing, and I've done a lot of it, so uh, yeah, I, I know the problems with, with polyester resin and catalyst is that it really depends on your local conditions. Sometimes when I would be laying up fiberglass with polyester resin, it would be 100 degrees outside. And if I put very much catalyst in, it would set up almost instantaneously, and it would be basically a waste of fiberglass and polyester resin. Other times in the winter, I could not add enough catalyst to get it hot enough to set off. So, so your air temperature when fiberglassing and when gluing and when epoxying will have a tremendous effect on the type of job you're able to get done. And that's really something that just has to be done by trial and error for the given time that you're at. Now, there's been lots of sheets of fiberglass that uh, ended up setting up too fast on me that I had to throw out. And then there's some that never set up at all, so I had to tear them out and start all over. So it's it's a learning curve, and, and we could get somebody to talk about it, but you can learn a little bit from books, like what how many drops of uh, catalyst to a certain amount of polyester resin, but it's really something that you have to play with and experiment with. And unfortunately, sometimes you're just going to have to throw something out and start all over again. I always say, when I started building my boat, I was not a particularly good woodworker, but I got better as time went on. And I had a lot of big big pieces of wood, expensive teak, that started out as big pieces. And I'd make a mistake, and I'd throw it into the pile, and eventually I'd come back and use it for smaller pieces later on. But you pay for your mistakes, and you pay for your education, so... Um, yeah, I'll, but I'll try to get Frederick made on and see if he can come on and talk to us. Then Dick goes on to say, I'm also thinking that many of your listeners would be sailing if we could acquire a lower-cost boat and use DIY skills to get her done. So listening to people like Brian Toss saying things such as, we can indeed get up in our rigging by ourselves, using rope and a few splices instead of needing the services of <laughs> money-sucking machine shops, to pressure fit complex terminals onto the ends of hard-to-handle wire rope is the kind of stuff that could go a long ways. Anyway, you know, I've always thought that if if I owned West Marine, I'd go buy a bunch of used boats and give them away with the caveat that you had to buy all your <laughs> your parts from my company, from my store, because, you know, you just start getting out your wallet when you walk into a Marine store. The parts are expensive and... The boats may be cheap, but the parts that go on boats are expensive. And I've always wondered if it really pays to to rebuild an old boat or if you'd be better off uh, buying a, a slightly used boat for a less less amount. I don't know the answer to that, but I it's nice to be able to actually walk into a marine store and not covet anything anymore. I think I've bought everything in the marine store at some point in time in my life, and I probably have extras sitting on my boat and in my garage. So um, it's a strange feeling to actually walk into West Marine and not want anything anymore. The last thing Deke suggested in his email said, Hey, I met a guy named 
Ben Zartman a few years ago, who tied up in my hometown of St. John's, Newfoundland, Canada, with his wife and three young daughters aboard. I got to know him a little bit, and I provided some sure support. And I tell you, Franz, this guy is the epitome of a do-it-yourself-on-a-shoestring-budget sailor. He is sailing a 31-foot Cape George's Cutter, which is similar to your BCC. He used an aluminum light pole for a mast and made his own gaff rigging. He gave me the website, and I went to the website, and I tried to contact Ben yesterday, but I haven't heard from him since. Hopefully he'll read my email and get a hold of me, because I'd, I'd like to interview him as well. I do have an interview coming up with Paul Michelle, who's the national sales manager for Navionics. I've been communicating with him over the last couple days. We're going to be talking about Navionics products and the app that I used this summer when I was sailing on my boat. I thought it was a great app, and I recommend it. And other than that, I really don't have anything scheduled right now for interviews. So I'm looking for people to interview and people to talk to to keep giving you guys new material to listen to. All right. So let's give you my quick advertisement. If you are trying to learn to sail, the first thing you need to do is understand the terminology and I can help you with that with my audio course sailing learn to sail lessons for the ASA 101 exam the ASA 101 exam it's available at the website I think it's $29.99 and I think it's around nine or ten hours of audio material so we go through the basic terminology you need to understand to be sailing on a boat maneuvers on a boat safety on a boat some of the rules of the road and so forth it would help you prepare to take the ASA 101 exam, the basic keelboat examination. So if it's something you're interested in, check it out. So let's get on to the interview today with Jack Andrews and his wife, Julie. I'm with Jack and Julia Andrews. Jack sailed with me this summer. He taught me how to truly siphon hoses. And Julia is his wife. They've sailed off the coast of Italy by chartering a boat. And I interviewed Jack a while back about his charter experiences and and Jack, I got another request from a listener to get more people on that have sailed the Italian coast. So I've got to find somebody else to uh, to talk to us about the Italian coast as well, because so, people are interested in it. So, you... yeah. So, so speaking of that, I think um, sailing Britican is currently sailing off the Italian coast, or just was. So that's an option for you. Yeah, and I, I'm keeping in touch with Kim. She and I exchanged emails last week, and she said, I'm just trying to find a decent Internet connection so we can do another interview. Right. Well, then that might do both birds with one stone in that case. (laughs) That's right. So you guys are going to bite the bullet, buy a boat, and go sailing. So tell us about your decision and what you're looking at. Julia, do you want to start off? Uh, Well, we are hoping to go next year. we're in Seattle and um, the kids will finish school at the end of June next year. We'll take our time, uh, go across America, hopefully across the top of America and then down the East Coast, uh, make our way down to Florida and pick up a boat there and um, hopefully sail for a year around the Caribbean. Okay, so, so you're going to concentrate on the Caribbean then. You're not going to hop over to Palma, Mallorca and buy a boat there and sail the Mediterranean. <laughs> that's not the current plan no the current plan is um is the caribbean yes so and we'll we'll see what happens um after we've you know spent a few months doing that uh, see how the kids enjoy it and see how we enjoy it and um yeah we may continue we may not okay so um just and to add to that i mean the, the, at this stage the kids are uh, certainly behind it we've uh, been talking about it now for a little while and talking about it at a level of having made the decision. So it was, right, this is sort of the last year at school for you guys before you have the one-year break. And then we've been talking about the sort of activities that we'll be doing while sailing and the homeschooling, and we can go into further detail on that a little bit later. But, yeah, the homeschooling, the sorts of activities, the locations that we want to see, like Julia said, along the way, and obviously in the Caribbean itself. And... That has also given us the opportunity to focus our efforts on the sort of boat we want to get, um, you know, around the time that we want to spend and the type of sailing that we want to do, which is predominantly, obviously, dated 
day sailing in, in the Caribbean and you know, nothing that's really crossing oceans. You know, I guess the Gulf Stream at, uh, from Florida to the Bahamas would be one part of it. But you know, in the main, between the Bahamas and the rest of the Caribbean, we're talking about day sails. So nothing that needs to be exceptionally uh, seaworthy, ocean-going. Um, it's more down the path of potentially looking at an ex-charter boat um, hopefully around the 50-foot mark, but obviously dependent on how much you want to spend on the boat at the time. I was, I was just going to ask, me, ask you to tell us the age of your children then. We have three kids. Um, Ivy is seven, Reuben is eight, and Declan is 11. So it's not, uh, it's not from high school to college. It's from grade school to middle school or high school then for the most part. Yes, yes, that's right. Yeah, so it's, it's an ideal age as far as we can think of. This is a great time for us to go because obviously the, the older they get, the, the more serious the education component if we do miss out on, on that. Um, whilst, you know, this is a great time for them to experience what it's like to be out of the system right. and have that confidence that comes with doing that for a little while. So you've been laying the groundwork for this for, for quite a while. So go through the process of, of how you to, came to the agreement that this is what you wanted to do. Now, Jack, I know it's something you probably want to do, wanted to do for a long time, but Julie, is this something that you've, you've always been on board about? Well, I would like to say before we should go <laughs> on to this that I actually was um, the one who, who got Jack um, interested in sailing in the first place. I would have um, said the same thing. <laughs> But um, since he's developed an interest, he's certainly, um, you know, probably become a lot more passionate um, about sailing than um, than I have. And um, Jack is certainly, out of the two of us, the one who is, um, you know, a lot more bold when it comes to making decisions and um, and pushing it. So I always talked about wanting to do it as in something that, you know, may or may not happen. And um, I, I don't know when exactly it sort of came to be something that was um, a bit more formalised, but I think after we spent a week on the boat in Italy um, last year, we, we really loved it. And, and I think sort of since then we've sort of been talking about it and, and um, next year represents a pretty good time for both of us. Um, and we've just sort of bitten the bullet and said, right, well, let's, let's do it and um, we'll try and see if we can get everything else in our lives to fit in around that, that timings. And Jack, you're, you're welcome to add to that as you want. <laughs> well, yeah, I do. I do remember a time when I had a 44 foot cigarette boat that um, just burnt gas and, <laughs> and it went fast and it was just a party boat. And that's, I think the first, that's about the same time as Julia first started talking about sailboats. And to me, that was like, what? A sailboat? <laughs> that doesn't go very fast. <laughs> um, and, yeah, so definitely Julia has been talking about it for, for a while. Um, and, you know, the, the more we looked at it, the more we thought about it and spoke about it, then it just became more and more interesting as something to do. Um, obviously, with sailboats, you know, you can cross oceans. I mean, it's not something that we intend to do much of on this next or this trip of ours. Um, but you know, obviously the sort of boat that we'll obtain, plenty of them have crossed oceans. Uh, I still think that uh, this, the stats are that there's probably more Benetos have crossed an ocean than any other type of boat, just purely because of numbers. But, you know, it's not necessarily the most seaworthy boat for doing so. And I think, as I said before, you know, that's sort of the sailing that we'll be doing. The sailing off the Amalfi Coast, or certainly in Caribbean, the sail. Hey, hey, Jack, your microphone just suddenly scratched up or cut out, and you I lost a lot of your volume there. Oh, right. Sorry about that. Is that any better? Yeah, get a little closer. How's that? That's better. Okay, continue on. I'm sorry. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so Julia did start this whole thing off. It's all her fault. <laughs> Julia, you, you're, uh, you're from Australia as well, correct? Yes, yes. What part of Australia? 
I'm from Perth. So, I, well, I grew up in Perth. I was actually born um, in England and grew up in Australia. So we um, both Jack and I are sort of, we, um, we have a lot of family all over the place and um, we're used to travelling around. We don't really have anywhere that we would necessarily consider home. So I, I suppose from that point of view, um, a sailing life seems like a pretty good life for us for a year anyway because... Um, yeah, we have family all over the place and, and we don't really consider any part of the world as some place where we're ready to settle down just yet. So, all right. And Julia, you're working on a degree, as I recall. Tell us about that. I'm doing a research project. I'm just finishing up my PhD. I do research into uh, climate and meteorology and its impacts on agriculture. Um, so hopefully I'll be able to use a bit of what I've learned when we go on the boat, not necessarily from an agriculture standpoint, but um, in terms of, you know, looking at the weather and, um, and making sure we don't get ourselves into, into any trouble. Did you see the post I just put up on the website, Jack, about uh, the wind that was blowing into the Bay of Bengal? Or, or the Bay of Biscay, excuse me, the Bay of Biscay? No, I did not. Oh, take a look at it. I put a, I put a picture that I took off the uh, global weather or global wind uh, website that shows you the current global winds. Oh, yes. Yes, I do see that. Yep. So that that's what that describes the fear of the Bay of Bengal. Or Bay, I see you say the Bay of Bengal. The Bay of Biscay more than anything else I've seen. You know, the old English sailors tried to avoid being embayed is what they used to say. Right. Actually, I showed, you know, that's the, um, that model that has the, the winds globally right. presented. Mm-hmm. Um, I showed that to Julia not that long ago. She had some comments on it. What, what was it that you said about it, Julia? It's, um, I, I, I love that site. It's, um, it's, very, it's very scary to have a look at that site when there's um, some hurricanes and cyclones blowing. Um, and, uh, <laughs> yes, I mean, the, I, I'm not sure how um, current they keep that website in terms of, um, I think that they're probably about 12, I think they're about 12 hours delayed. Okay. In terms of the information that they provide. But um, obviously that information is drawn from, um, it's drawn from um, global models, which I think sailors would know that as the grip data. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's where that information is coming from. It's just a lot... um, it's a lot more intimidating to look at that than it is to sort of look at the raw grib output. The, um, yeah, the, the, the uh, Excel spreadsheets, that's a lot more fun to look at. <laughs> yes. So yeah. tell me what your boys are, are ex- excited about and what you want to see on you. So you're going to be both, both doing a cross-country venture, so you're going to get a lot of the geography of the United States, more than most people do that live in the United States. And then, uh, and then a Caribbean geography lesson as well. And what are you thinking of hitting on your land-based trip? And, and how do you plan on doing it? Just driving and staying in hotels along the way? Or are you going to rent a caravan? Or what are you going to do? I think, I think on the drive we will, um, we will stay in hotels and motels. It's a wonderful thing about doing road trips around America compared to doing road trips around Australia is you can actually just drive somewhere and, and stay somewhere um, generally. Whereas in Australia, if you were driving, especially across the north of the country, you know you would have to do a lot more um, planning and take a lot a lot more things with you. Um, so we will probably do that. The boys are interested in doing some fossil hunting when we're going um, through the states, and as far as what we've got set as um, an itinerary and things to do in the Caribbean. Um, The children are particularly excited about going to the Exuma Keys and um, seeing the pigs, the swimming pigs. (laughs) Okay. I've never never heard of that. So tell us about the swimming pigs of the Exuma Keys then. Okay. Well, I actually, Jack and I actually learned about this from our eldest son, Declan. When he was seven years old, he, um, he, did, an, he did a newspaper uh, search project for school and he found an article about this, uh, I think, it, it, I'm pretty sure it's the Exuma Keys in the Bahamas, uh, some merchants 
several hundred years ago, left some pigs on this island planning to come back and eat them, basically. But they never came back to eat the pigs and the pigs have thrived and they swim out to boats and they people feed them and they live on this island and they're very happy and apparently they're a bit of a, a tourist attraction now for uh, for cruising boats so the children are very excited to, to see the pigs. All right. I'd never heard of that. So I've, I knew they left goats on some of these islands but I never heard of the pigs. Ah, yeah. we'll, we'll have to look for some goats as well then. So that yeah, so it's definitely um, I mean, all you have to do is put in swimming pigs, and they come up pretty much straight away on any internet search. Um, yeah, so the Exuma Bahamas, and apparently, <laughs> when you look at them, they've um, they've developed this snout that sort of looks like a banana shape, and like it points out at the end of their nose instead of being straight. So um, so that when they do swim. It's like they have a snorkel. <laughs> <laughs> so they can swim better that way, I guess, then. So yeah. They've adapted yeah, to their environment, then. They certainly have. Um, and I've seen them, on, obviously, on YouTube, on a lot of the sailing YouTube channels, and um, they certainly are big, um, and they're very friendly by the looks of it as well. And they ex- expect they swim out to boats because over time people have been feeding them. They've just gotten used to that, so it's quite good. All right, so let's talk about are you going to put together a website, a blog while you're doing this trip, and are you going to be posting to it on a regular basis? One of the things that we want to do, yes, the, the, the short answer is yes, but um, one of the things we really want the children to do whilst um, we are cruising around is we want them to produce their own blog, their own news source, so they can be updating information um, on their perspective of the trip. And I think that uh, Jack is very interested in um, doing something potentially with video. And um, I'm sure I'll find something to contribute to, to the website as well. But as far as setting anything up at this stage, we don't have anything ready to go at the moment. So did you want to add anything to that, Jack? Yeah, no, I, I'm in agreement, sir. I think... Um... I'd like to record as much of it uh, via video as I can. Not purely um, a vlog, as in the YouTube channel just has videos, but um, having that link on the website and just linking the kids' websites onto it as well, uh, just forcing them to to do that because you know it's not something that they'll put their hand up to do and volunteer because it does require effort and writing and all that sort of stuff, but. Um, but it'll it'll be invaluable in the future as a bit of a history of of their one year trip. Um, so yeah, we'll have something up and we'll let you know when it does go up. All right. <laughs> but uh, you know, I don't. I think it'll be closer to when we're there as opposed to prior. Um, there's a lot of sites around that have got a lot of information about planning, uh, things to do with costs and and so forth. So. I don't think there is really a need to duplicate any of that. There's some fantastic sites. A lot of it um, come, comes from links from the Sail Loop podcast as well, from mm-hmm. pe- people that have got budgets on there. Um, so that's easy and readily available. Plenty of people that are fixing boats up and looking for boats. Um, so I think it will just be a record of our trip at the time. And I think a lot of people, that's what they're looking for. They're not necessarily... They're looking for entertainment, Jack. That's what they're looking for. Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, I think... Um, so we, the structure of what we want to do when we're out there day-to-day is obviously we'll have um, a session that we plan to use to do with you know, homeschooling. And we both intend to try and work from the boat. So there'll be... It won't be just a full year off. Um, We expect that uh, we'll both be spending a few hours a day working, so it's not really strenuous work by any means, Uh, but a few hours a day. And something that will be important to us is uh, internet connectivity as well. So hence the day day sailing aspect of it is, is great because obviously internet connectivity can be achieved whether you're um, in in harbour or at least close to a 
mobile signal. Well, that'll be good when you get that. I want to link to it, and then as, as your trip goes on, I want to touch base with you and catch up with what you're doing and, and do another podcast with you. Now, a lot of people, I'm sure it's on their mind, uh, two questions is, um, are you going to keep running your business? I know, Jack, that you're self-employed, that you have a business. Are you going to keep running your business while you're awake? Because I think you're you're not required to be in any physical location. Um, so that's the first the first question, are you going to keep working or are you just going to take a full year off? No. So as said, um, I imagine that I'll keep working, but it'll be part-time. So I have um, – there's other partners in the business, and whilst we all do different things, um, the sort of work that I'm doing, I should be able to uh, streamline it and have some other people take over parts of it but reduce my hours down – and uh, not necessarily have to be available on a day-by-day basis. So it's just going to be more of a monitoring um, type of position and doing a few things that require internet access, but not every day. So, yes, there will be work, and it won't be that heavy. Okay. So you'll have an ongoing income coming in while you're doing this. It's not like you saved a lot of – well, I'm sure you've saved some money to do this, but it's – it's not a. I mean, your lifestyle continues. It's just you'll be collecting a paycheck on a month-to-month basis, but it might be a little reduced then. Yeah, that's right. Well, yeah, it'll probably be a lot reduced, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so um, but the thing is, you know, as we spoke about it before, in our situation, we we have a house in Australia, in Australia, which we rent out, and we haven't been in that house now for you know, four years or so. And we ourselves are renting whilst we're in the U.S. So um, we spent time in California and we're now in Washington State and near Seattle. So, so for us, that component of expenditure will disappear as well. Okay. So, you know, we can put that towards living costs. And, yeah, so, so renting is not insignificant as a monthly contribution to living costs on a boat. So I think the key for us is to have the funds for the boat, um, reducing our day-to-day costs by actually being on a boat on top of having a part-time income coming in uh, will suffice for us, certainly in that region, based on other people's comments. I mean, I've seen people put up that they're doing this for, you know, anything from a few hundred dollars to a few thousand dollars per person per month. Um, And obviously it's all lifestyle based but uh, I think if you sort of allocate a thousand per person per month you're, you're quite safe. Julia, yeah. Julia let's talk about um, the education of the children while, while, you're, while you're traveling do you have a formal program or how are you going to go about doing that? Well at this stage it's not our intention that we will have a formal program uh, because we just at this stage we're planning on going away for a year um, I don't think it's going to be that critical for us to keep them to, say, the US curriculum or, or the Australian curriculum and you have, use a formal program to do that. Um, I think that what we'll do is, well, at this stage anyway, our plan is that we'll have something that is a bit less formal. Uh, obviously, we'll make sure that their, um, you know, their basic, their math, their science, their reading is kept up. Um, but as far as how we do that, I, I think that we will take a relatively informal approach. I'm sure that as as time gets nearer to, to when we actually leave, um, that will probably change and we will probably use something that, that does have a bit of structure to it, especially because this is something that, that you know, I'm quite new at and, I, and, and we haven't done it before. Um, but our approach to it is that because it is just a year, uh, we... Are not going to be too worried about if it doesn't work, if if the children necessarily fall behind, because because the way Jack and I see it is um, is if if say for example the children don't respond well to to being taught in that environment um, and they come back and they're a year behind, that they will have gained so much in in experience that that you know it will be worth being a year behind when when they do return to school. Uh, of course, if we then decide that 
we love sailing and we want to keep going, it will be a lot more important than to, to keep the children in something that's a bit more structured. Um, but one thing I do know is, is I don't want anything that involves a lot of paper. It's sort of all going to be on computers because um, I don't think we're going to have a lot of room and a lot of scope for clutter on the boat. So we'll, we'll try and keep that as a minimum. My daughters, when I took them sailing for, when we sailed along the coast of Spain for uh, three months, we required that they keep their journal and they write in their journal every day. How much they wrote was up to them. They just had to write something about what happened during the day. And then, um, then without saying anything, they both developed a love for reading because they were, yeah, had to fill up the day somehow. There's no TV. So they learned it, love to read. And that's not something we had to force on them. And, he, and now, as my daughters are adults, are 28 years old right now, uh, they are so glad they kept those journals. They go back and read those journals from time to time. So I'd suggest just keep that bit of paper with you. Okay, okay. No, well, that's, um, that's good advice. Um, my... My, my our, 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 oh, sorry, our eldest boy is he's an avid reader, and my two boys both hate to write. So <laughs> it's probably going to be a good idea having having some paper there that they can that they can actually put some writing on because hopefully they will learn to they will learn to love writing, which would be a wonderful thing. But um, that's definitely going to be a key uh, teaching point. I think that Jack and I both agree on this is um, having them document the journey somehow. If they choose to do that um, in a written form, great. If they choose to do that in um, you know, some sort of um, oral recording, then that's great. Or even if they want to do some sort of um, video journal, as long as they are keeping some sort of record and they are um, you know, communicating that out to um, other people, then that's going to be something that... And, of course if they want to keep that, some of that private as well. But, but that's going to be sort of a, a key part of their teaching, I suppose, and their education over that time is, um, is keeping that record and, and, you know, what they've learned and what they've experienced along the way. Because like you said, I think it will be a really valuable thing for them and a really wonderful thing for them to refer back to um, as, as time moves on. Do you, do you two have any specific websites that you have... Um, used a lot that has, has helped you prepare for uh, going down this path that you want to share with our listeners? Specifically for me, no, but I have, I mean, there is a whole list of sites that I that I have spent time on to, to get to this point. Uh, you know, the, the, the sailing forums in Seven Seas um, and a whole bunch of one thing that I look for is is people that are actually currently cruising with families, and that put things online. Um, you know, there's a few well-known ones, and quite a few of them have actually been on podcasts, whether it's you know, with Andy or you know, yourself or um, Shooting the Breeze or whoever else. And so, a lot of that information flows through, and that's a lot of my information comes from listening to podcasts and then referencing those people that are actively out there right now so you get current information um, one thing that I just did recently that I found really confusing is looking at um, registering uh, a boat to a particular flag because you know in our case we're Australians uh, we're currently in the US on working visas and when we go and do this um, you know effectively we'll no longer be residing in the U.S. at that point in time. So, therefore, um, our citizenship is Australian. We have the opportunity, and I think almost anyone has certain ability to register it against any flag. So, looking at the best flag to register a vessel against was something that I found a little bit intimidating. There's a lot of a lot of people talking about it, but uh, the government websites are very um, short on giving practical information as to why you would go one way or the other um, like for instance the, the AMSA which is the Australian Maritime site talked about the fact that if you are an Australian resident you have to register your vessel with the Australian flag um, if you want to travel internationally and that includes whether you're leaving Australian waters or have purchased the vessel overseas and intend to travel out of that country into international waters 
And of course, there's you know there's all these opportunities to register with flags of convenience and register with um, all sorts of offshore islands that you, you can go ahead and do. And the consequences of that are things like, well, I know that you speak about the VAT situation in Europe quite a lot. Um, there's also the point about the fact that uh, um, there's sales tax and tax on boats when you bring them into certain countries that apply. Um, but more importantly, if you do register by a certain flag, you have to abide by that nation's specific rules and regulations for the vessel, as well as uh, whichever country's waters you're visiting at that point in time. So you then, like obviously the U.S. Coast Guard, simple for the U.S., you, you abide by U.S. Coast Guard rules. Um, but if you're regist Australian registered, you also have to abide by the Australian rules as well. So that that was something that I spent a lot of time looking at recently, or not a lot, a lot but certainly an hour or two, and um, certainly not any the wiser as to which way we're going to go on that. So you haven't found the the, the ideal location to register your boat yet? <laughs> Potentially the Jersey Islands, because Julia was born in the UK and it only cost £25. <laughs> but then don't you have to pay VAT? Well, if you go to Europe, then you have to pay VAT immediately but that's not in your plan so that's not a that's not a big issue for you then exactly um obviously and i'm not sure what the requirement is for places like uh, martinique and so forth like the french parts of um and the british parts of the caribbean as to what the rules and regulations are on on tax there uh julia has a european passport and it's my intention to obtain one before we leave so as that we're not then bound to only have three months and locations so between you know the european passport and the australian passport we should be um okay moving around but yeah i as far as flags of registry i know that australia to register the boat australian flag i think it's going to cost about two thousand or twelve hundred dollars and i believe if you do the federal registration with the coast guard here it's only a few hundred dollars yeah, if you get documented, it's not a big issue in the United States. But I know when I got documented on my boat, I still had to pay state sales tax uh, in the state where I kept the boat. So, right. um, And in that case, it was Washington. So I registered my boat in Washington and did not have any Washington numbers on it because it was documented. But they, they got my pound of flesh. Yeah, exactly. So, I, I mean, I don't see any reason to pay local tax if we are going to depart um, straight away. So you're and residents of no country then? Yeah, it sort of gets to that point at, you know, next year when we're out there on the boat, is that whilst we're citizens of Australia, we're not resident in any one location. So when when is the big date? I, I'm, you probably told me earlier, but just tell us again when you plan on starting this journey. We plan on leaving Seattle uh, probably early July. Okay. And I don't think that we would um, start the actual sailing aspects of the journey probably until um, September, sort of late September, because we'd want to sort of avoid the, um, the worst of the storm season down, um, down in, in the Caribbean. Although, that said, um, there's some pretty nasty um, tropical depressions around um, Florida and that coast at the moment. So I think that'll... that'll you know, be a consideration for us. But I think, yeah, so maybe this time next year, that's when we'll be thinking of actually setting sail. Jack, when you left me on the boat, you you uh, you took a long time to get home, didn't you? Tell me what happened. So we, we, I had a continuation of, uh, of that trip in the sense that I needed to go to Australia to renew my visas or visa. We need to renew visas for the whole family. And, and it was always the intention for us to go to Australia. So hold on. You had to renew your visas in Australia to stay in the United States. Is that, is that the way I yeah. understand it? That's, that's correct. So yeah. you had to go to Australia to renew your visa even though you were in the States, residing in the States at the time. Well, yeah, it, it was the case. In actual fact, um, we were okay to stay in the States for another year. But the only problem was that the validity of the stamp in the passport is different to the visa length at that point in time. So had we left the U.S., we wouldn't have been able to get back in 
And it's, <laughs> it's, it's a funny situation because obviously we're working in the U.S. and that's what the working visa is orientated around. But for a, if you have an expired visa stamp in your passport to, on that particular visa, then you can't use that to re-enter the country. And, of course, on the visa waiver program, uh, you're not allowed to enter the country to work. <laughs> so, so it's sort of a catch-22. If, you, if your passport stamp expires for your visa, you really need to renew it before you can get back in, uh, even though you might have you know, a residence with all your furniture and everything in situ here. So on your sailing trip, um, my visa had expired, or the stamp in the passport was going to expire, in May. So when I left, I knew that I wouldn't be able to get back in, and Julia and the kids were heading over to Australia, so they ended up flying by themselves, and I met them in Australia to do the visa renewals. We spent a month in Australia, it ended up being a little bit longer um, for me, and we also did a side trip to Bali, where an ash cloud extended our holidays by an extra oh, half, well, actually nearly a week, right? It was a week, yeah. yeah. So we uh, went to Bali for a friend's wedding and uh, found ourselves stuck there. And a uh, terrible place to get stuck. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, so we were stuck there for about a week and uh, that extended the trip even more. So by the time we got back, I think I was away for two and a half months. Um, and, yeah, Julia had been away for with the kids for six weeks and uh, we came back to a flooded kitchen oh oh that's right that's why we couldn't do our interview last week tell me what happened <laughs> all right so yeah so we we came back and um this is after flying from perth to sydney la to seattle so it's sort of four hours then four hours in the airport then another 12 and a half hours then a few more hours in the airport then another two and a half hours um, and it's one of the reasons, <laughs> it's a couple of reasons a lot of Americans don't get to see much of Australia because it's so far away <laughs> from here. Um, and, of course, the seasons are the opposite end, so you end up going there for winter. Or, anyway, so we got back. We got back, and the kitchen um, had a leak that was sprung from the, the ice maker in the fridge. So the actual cable that connects to the ice maker in the fridge ended up somehow having a hole in it um, and it was leaking for about they estimate about two to three weeks and it was probably just a little drip 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 sort of leak is that what it was well when we found it it was it's like a little high pressure spray so it was okay. more than a drip but it was a high pressure spray so yeah and, um, and it's that plastic line right it's a plastic yeah. line and they've replaced it now with uh, a braided stainless steel line which obviously you can get and a recommendation to anybody out there if you've got a plastic line connected to the back of your fridge, change it out for the braided stainless steel one. <laughs> I don't think there's much difference in price, but it's, uh, it, it's a huge difference if that other one leaks because it leaked all the way through the floor down to the kids' bedroom downstairs. Um, and in effect, we still don't have one of the bedrooms back in. They've just put the jip rock back in and they're resheeted it and they'll be painting it shortly but um, the kitchen's been out of action now for three weeks and that should be together by the end of this week um, but Julia found it and it, was, <laughs> and it was the last thing we wanted to find after travelling home from Australia for 36 odd hours So did you have to go find another place to stay or was it just you couldn't use your kitchen for a while then? They, um, uh, because we, we rent this house um, they offered as the ability to go and stay somewhere else. But um, you have to, because obviously Jack was travelling for two and a half months and, and the kids and I were travelling for about a month and a half before that. And we were so excited to be home, to have our space back. And, um, yes, so we, we decided to stay in the house um, and just sort of do without the kitchen. And the children have sort of been moved around and, and are sort of sharing a bedroom now. So... Yeah, it was. We decided that it was much better to deal with the inconvenience of not having a kitchen and not having a bedroom, rather than move somewhere else. Because, um, yes, we'd been we'd spent a lot of time moving around, and whilst it was a lot of fun moving around, it was. Um, yeah, we were very happy to to have some time at home. 
Well, you'll have other headaches on the boat when you get there, so you'll have other maintenance headaches to deal with. That's that's. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, we we like to think that we're sort of pretty flexible and pretty relaxed about these things. So, I mean, I'm sure that there's going to be things on the boat that will challenge us and surprises and and frustrate us. But um, I think the, the children are pretty adaptable, and and we sort of seem to manage things like floods and so forth without too much difficulty. So uh, I'm hoping that, that we'll be able to manage anything that comes our way. Okay, great. Anything else you guys want to add? Um, at this point in time, no, but it's, as, as we get closer, I'll probably have a lot more information on specific things like insurances and you know, what we intend to do about personal and boat insurances and so forth. So I can certainly drop you a line and ask you to review it and see what you think of uh, what we're doing down that that path, and and uh, if we narrow, we should be able to narrow down the boat type as well. Okay, well, when we when we get to that point, let's do another podcast and go down that path and explore it because I'm sure it's a, a journey a lot of people want to take. So if they can learn from you, that'd be great. Not a problem. Thanks, Franz. Thanks, Jack. Thank you. Thanks, Julie. It's good to talk to you. Thanks. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. All right. Thanks for listening. Would you do me a favor, go to the iTunes podcast directory and give my podcast a you know, five-star review, maybe write a little comment. I haven't seen very many new comments in a long time. That does keep me motivated. And if you have any suggestions for podcasts or if you'd like to be interviewed yourself, please contact me, franz at medsailor.com or use the contact form at the website. And lastly, if you're studying for the ASA 101, 103, or 104, examinations. I have audio lessons to help you prepare for the written portion of those examinations at the website. Thanks for listening. Get out there and go sailing. Joe, do you have something to tell me? No, I don't think so. I just got off the telephone with Bill Rutherford. Princeton can use a guy like Joe? What? Princeton can use a guy like Joe. His exact words. That's unbelievable. You're as good as in. I knew you could do it. Haven't I been telling you every once in a while, you just got to say, what the heck, and take some chances. You are so right. You made me very proud. I was just thinking where we might be 10 years from now, you know? (laughs) The introduction and exit quotes for this podcast were from the movie Risky Business, released in 1983 and written by Paul Brickman. The dialogue, which was used in order, were played by... Curtis Armstrong, who in the movie played the character Miles Dalby, Nicholas Pryor, who in the movie played Joel's father, Mr. Goodson, and Tom Cruise, who was the main character who played the character of Joel Goodson.